Good morning. Uh, my name is Clyde, and we will now go to our reading this morning. Uh, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 5, and that's on page 487 of our church Bibles. So that's we're Nehemiah chapter 5, and we're going to read the whole chapter from verse 1 to verse 19. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told, I told them, you are charging your own people interests. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is, is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook off the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until this 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. 
But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work of this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me in favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. As Sally said, my name's Chris. I'm a member of the church here. It's great to be here. I spend most of my time on the east site, so it's great to be uh, back here for a morning and in a very full room. It's nice that the room's getting full again. Now, if I were to say to you to think of someone who said one thing but did another, or uh, talked a big game but never really followed through, someone who said all the right things but you kind of think, yeah, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. We've had some pretty high-profile examples of that um, last 18 months. March 2020, we're all told to stay at home, try and work from home, be teachers of our children at home, restrict our time outside, restrict our time traveling, let alone spending any time with any other people. It's kind of like wartime. And then the news stories pop up. Dominic Cummings drives 300 miles to his father's house, I think, with fairly questionable justification. A few months later, Margaret Ferrier, MP from, um, in Scotland, travelled from Scotland down to London, having already had potential symptoms, then did a test. It was positive. So she hopped back on a train and went back up to Scotland. And you kind of think, hang on, you're asking us to do all this, all this stuff, stay at home and restrict ourselves completely. Does that not apply to you? No, I must admit that I haven't spent too much time researching whether there have been any justifications since then to explain those. But at the time, for sure, the perception of those events was these leaders aren't following their own rules. And I'm sure we can think of examples where um, maybe less high profile, where people we'd known have said something and not followed through or said something and done another thing. In contrast today, we read about a leader who led first by putting a problematic situation right and then followed through, demonstrated that he meant what he said, everything he'd asked others to do to remedy the situation, he did himself. There's a lot that we can learn um, from Nehemiah's example, striving for justice in his community. And it's not limited to leaders by any means. It's relevant to all of us. So we're going to look at this chapter in three chunks um, to kind of follow the story through of what happens. So firstly, verses 1 to 5, Nehemiah listens. Verse 1, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. There are a number of problems that are outlined in these verses. 
Um, a major root of them seems to be hunger. Um, they didn't seem to have enough food. They couldn't get food for themselves and their family. Um, they had issues with property. They owed money for taxes on their property. They were borrowing money against their property um, in order to buy food, but they were already paying taxes. So then some of the children had to work as slaves to others of the Jews. All these problems are kind of intertwining. Um, you can kind of see how uh, they needed food, so they had to borrow money, but then they had to mortgage their land, so then didn't have the land to get the food. Uh, you can see how it's a kind of downward spiral of a situation. The poorer people in the community were relying on the richer people in the community, but not in a way that helped them get back on their feet. They were powerless, it says in verse 5. Now, not all of these things going on were necessarily wrong. Um, mortgaging off property is something we still do. Um, borrowing money is legitimate. It's maybe not ideal, but it's, um, it's okay. And the slavery talked about here, um, in general, was somewhat less of an outrage as how we think of it now, as how we think of slavery. Um, in simple terms, it could be more of, more of a business arrangement um, working for someone in exchange for food or shelter. Perhaps if you wanted something and you didn't have money to buy it, you might offer to work for them for however long in order to get it. It didn't necessarily involve the kind of mistreatment and oppression um, that we associate with slavery. However, what's happening here isn't how it's supposed to happen. We don't really know whether they definitely broken the law or if what they were doing was not in the spirit of it. Um, but it was definitely not what they were supposed to be, um, how they were supposed to be going about their lives. The Jews lived under what's called um, Mosaic law. That is, the law that God gave the people via Moses. Hence, Mosaic, it's not about little tiles. There were allowable means of borrowing money, of working off debt, of working for someone. Um, all of those things, but the law also had provision for making sure that those things didn't get themselves into the situation we find here. They didn't spiral. They were all temporary. Um, we find a lot of the relevant parts of the law to what's happening here in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Um, I'll read a few, a few of the verses. Uh, chapter 15, Deuteronomy 15 verse 1 at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Fairly straightforward, right? Going on, um, verse 2, every creditor shall cancel any loan they've made to a fellow Israelite. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. Um, verse 7, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. And verse 12, if any of your people, Hebrew, or, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve for six years, in the seventh year, you must let them go free. Do you see, God had given them a law for them to use to care for each other, to care for their own, so they wouldn't create these downward spirals of debt and um, trouble, not to be mistreating one another, not to take advantage of one another, but Nehemiah sees here that that's exactly what's happening. And there's another aspect of what's going on here that seems to be the key of why Nehemiah gets angry about the situation. 
It's right there in verse 1. The men and wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. And this is important because the Jews were God's people. And God's people were supposed to be living in a way that set them apart from all the other people living around them. So not, not only was the law a set of instructions and rules to follow, um, a way of living, including the sacrifices and festivals and um, a way for them to live for God, it was also to show the other nations that God's people were different. They were special. They were set apart. Um, Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Uh, this is God speaking. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, my um, promise, your promise to me, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's people were to be set apart. They were to be different. They were to be special. And we'll come back to that a little bit more as we look at Nehemiah's response. So Nehemiah responds in verses 6 to 13. Nehemiah talks the talk called this. When Nehemiah hears what, what's going on, hears of the injustice, he's angry. He's angry at the oppressors for mistreating their own people. Have a look down at the accusations in verses 7 and 8. You are charging your own people interest. We've brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Gentiles were everyone who wasn't a Jew. Now you're selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. Do you hear his emphasis here? You're doing this to your own people, to your fellow Jews. He continues, verse 9, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in fear of God to avoid the reproach, that is disapproval, criticism of our gentle enemies? In other words, we're supposed to be set apart from these other nations, not giving them reasons to criticize us. So he says, Let's, let us give everything back. Stop charging interest. Give the property back. Let's reset like we were supposed to anyway. Nehemiah here is showing godly leadership, not just in caring for those in need, in using his position to make um, changes for the better, but more than that, he's looking to the law that God gave them to bring them back to how they were supposed to live for God. He's representing God's law to them. These aren't his own ideas. These aren't him saying, I've seen these problems, I think we should do this and this and this, these are my ideas. He's saying, God said we should live like this, let's get back to that. That's his aim. And you know what, Nehemiah isn't the only person here who has a godly reaction. In verse 12, they say, we'll give it back and we'll not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. They take an oath to keep their promise. They don't argue. They say, yeah, we'll do better. In verse 13, Nehemiah says, and I love this verse, I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. I love the image of that, of Nehemiah shaking out his robe in this gathering of important people. 
And it wasn't actually as unconventional for them as it feels for us. It was a fairly typical idea of um, kind of calling down a curse on yourself should you not keep the promise that you're making to show how serious they were about keeping that promise. Nehemiah is saying, may anyone who doesn't keep their promise be accountable to God. Not to Nehemiah, to God. And they agree. The whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. All the way through here, it's been about God's will, not Nehemiah's will. Nehemiah points to how God told them to live. The officials agree to right their wrongs, agree to be accountable to God for it, and then they praise the Lord. And then verse 13, it says, and the people did as they promised, as did Nehemiah, which brings us to our final section, verse 14 to 18, Nehemiah walks the walk. These next five verses of the chapter outline how Nehemiah followed his own advice, kept the promise that he had asked everyone to agree to. He doesn't take um, any of the food that he's kind of allotted for being governor, um, but he says that the governors before him had done. He's setting himself apart. The governors before had um, taken things from the people, placing what he says a heavy burden on the people. But Nehemiah didn't claim it, didn't take food. Verse 16, didn't acquire any land. He carried on committing to the task he was there to do, building the wall. So why does Nehemiah say his reason is for this? First reason in verse 15, out of reverence for God. It's the same thing again all the way through. We've seen Nehemiah's faithfulness to God, the importance of living for God under the law God had given them, carrying out the work God had put him there to do, out of reverence for God. Do you see his focus? Second reason, verse 18, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Nehemiah didn't want to take food from struggling people. He cared for the people. He gave up what was rightfully his for the sake of the people. Nehemiah not only saw a problem, and told everyone else what to do about it, he followed through, he walked the walk with the desire to be following God's will and living God's way and caring for God's people. Nehemiah's final words of this chapter, um, we see this uh, a few times in the book of Nehemiah. He asked God to remember him, remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. That cements Nehemiah's attitude. On first reading, it kind of sounds like looking for an ego boost. It's not. If it had been, he would have been talking to the people for them to tell him how great he was. No, this is between Nehemiah and God. Nehemiah's unwavering commitment to God. So, what should we take from this? 
When I was trying to kind of think through this this week, I wondered about a few different things. Is it an application for leaders? Um, how a position of responsibility should treat those they're responsible for? Uh, does it go wider than that? So it's not just leaders, it's how we should all be acting with each other. Does that need to be in a church context? Because we're talking about God's people here, um, and the church is God's people. Or can that be wider, how we care for our, um, all of society, not just the kind of internal society here in a church? And I came to the conclusion of, yes. There is a huge application here for positions of leadership. But leaders aren't the only people who should be living God's way, who should be living according to the way God wants us to. We should all be living how God wants us to. And yes, we need to care for our Christian family. But there's no doubt that we also need to be caring for our society, evidenced here by um, these donations of food. I think for sure what we take from this passage specifically is first and foremost a care for our fellow believers. Clearly there are some differences um, in the situation Nehemiah was facing to what our church community looks like. Um, I'm not able to stand here um, to say as clearly as the passage tells us, here's specifically where we are going wrong and here's how we fix it. That we're not living together in the same kind of community that they were. There are differences. But I'm sure we do mistreat each other sometimes. I'm sure we do take advantage of each other sometimes. I'm sure we try and push our agenda and be in conflict with others' agenda. And I think we can learn something from Nehemiah's reaction to there being issues between fellow Jews. His major question was, why on earth are you doing this to each other? We're in this together. We're supposed to be an example of a different way to live, a way being led by God, set apart. And that's true for us as well, isn't it? Now, I'm sure that many people here can say they've experienced some of that. They've experienced care and support from a church community that they otherwise perhaps don't feel they would have found. I certainly can say that. So let's strive to be that community. The kind of church family who show God's love to each other, who care about justice, who care about equality, who care about each other, really care about each other. For the sake of God, and accountable ultimately to him alone, living in a way that honors him. If we live for God, we should care for his people. So what about the wider community? Does our responsibility to live godly lives stop at our fellow Christians? No, I don't think so. Nehemiah's focus in this chapter is about the Jewish people, but through the Bible... The desire for justice, the care for the poor, and the vulnerable, the hungry, should be for all people. The video we watched earlier talked um, about this. Um, and by the way, the reason that video stopped halfway through is because otherwise you wouldn't need me. So it was just kind of justifying my existence. Um, at the very start of the Bible, 
humans are made in the image of God, said that. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness, no matter who you are. I stole that quote from the video, just to let you know. And Jesus taught us to first and foremost love God, and second, love your neighbor as yourself. That's Matthew chapter 12. Furthermore, he teaches us to love our enemies. Jesus loved the world so much that he went to the cross for it. He died for it. An incredible display of mercy, of grace, achieving justice, paying the price for the sin of the world once for all. Every person, every human has value. They are made in the image of God. So we're called to feed the hungry, help people out of debt, support and protect the vulnerable, seek justice, always seeking to be acting with the love that God first showed us, with the grace and mercy he showed us in Jesus dying on the cross for us. So let's take what we see in Nehemiah here to be an encouragement to us to do as he did, to have God's will and God's way and God's love at the forefront of our minds, to be people who listen, not just observing that there are problems and injustices and letting them pass us by and thinking someone else will deal with them, but taking them in, be bothered by them, be people who talk the talk, speak out against injustice, whatever the scale of the situation, be the voice of love, be the voice of care and of grace, and be people who walk the walk, not just talking a big game, but following through with action. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 summarizes this quite nicely, so I'm going to end with that. It says this, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the example that we have in Nehemiah of leadership by example, of standing firm on your will and your way, being led by you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that because of what he has done in dying for our sins and rising in victory over death, we can be made clean, made right with you. Help us to be a church who care for each other, who are in this together with you as our foundation. And help us to see every person, every human, how you see them. Help us to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. Amen. Feel free to stand.